0: We are looking uh, this morning uh, at this idea of Jesus' birthday. Now, now, keep in mind that at the point in time that Jesus is, uh, is born, the, the Jewish people themselves have experienced 400 years of silence from God. There's been no prophetic word. There's, no, there's, no, there's been zero. Imagine going 400 years of people who are pursuing God hearing zero, zilch, nada, out of God. I, I just can't even imagine what they were thinking at this point. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. Now, Jesus, one thing that was keeping them moving, though, and keeping them looking forward, was that there was prophetic word about the birth of Jesus, okay? So now this morning, man, we are going to get into it. And I tell you what, if, if uh, I hope that I can have disseminated some of this stuff, but if you start looking at Jesus's birthday and the idea about dates and what that looks like and some different things. You know, maybe uh, it, you, you're going to get an avalanche of information. I felt like I just sat under this avalanche of stuff uh, trying to get ready for this. But there's some really interesting stuff. Now, as I kind of go through this stuff today, I'm, honestly, I'm not making any hard and fast claims on, about anything. But what I'm hoping to do is, is maybe to pique your interest about some of the things that are going on in, 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 that, that we even have access to today. We, we live in a time where, where we have this access to information. Um, We tend to think because we're pretty arrogant that we live in a time when we're actually smarter than the people were that lived in Jesus's day, but we're not smarter than they are, okay? They're just as smart as we were. But what we have today is the ability to share information. And as we have this ability to share information, it opens up all kinds of amazing things. It gives access to all kinds of scholarship and things like that as we begin to look into these different things. One of the amazing things about our faith is that it happens in real history. The Bible is real history. It talks about very historic people and Jesus is a historic figure. Now the controversy you know about Jesus really starts to turn into controversy when we start to say who was he? But even scholars who you know have no Christian agenda or anything like that, they 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 know almost no scholarship today denies the existence of Jesus. It's really about who he is. It's not about if he existed or not. Almost all scholars will, will settle on, yes, there is enough, not just biblical information, biblical historical fact, but also extra biblical documentation that's done from different uh, Roman historians, from Flavius Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, uh, that, that basically they say, yes, Jesus lived on this earth. He was born into this world. Now, let's keep in mind here who Jesus is. Now, as Christians, we believe and understand that Jesus is God, that he's the God of all eternity, that he is the great I am, that he's the creator of all things who put on flesh. He added flesh to his divinity because we, as humans, had a problem. We had a human problem, and that problem was sin. And that was a problem that you and I couldn't overcome We couldn't get to God, and so God came to us. God came to us in the form of a baby. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life, that then he died and expired on the cross. And in that, he put sin to death. He put your sin. and gives you and I the ability to be forgiven and to be restored in a relationship with a holy and perfect God because the sin debt can be paid at the cross. Now, again, like Anna said, that requires a real relationship because what God is pursuing with you and I is a love relationship. And a re- love relationship requires that two would agree. If only one agrees, that's kidnapping. You can't do that. You'll get in trouble for that, right? You, it, when you marry or you, 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 you commit yourself in marriage to someone, it, it's two that are in agreement. It can't just be one. Again, one would be kidnapping. You can't do that. But, but, but God is in, he, he, is into, he has said yes in this relationship, and he waits for our yes. And the reason for that is because God is only interested in a love relationship. God will not force a relationship with you. He will not coerce you into a relationship with himself. But he waits, and he's done everything so that it's possible. It doesn't just stop at the cross. You see, see the cross makes possible that, that justice was met. But with that justice, love was also poured out at the cross in the person of Jesus, paying the penalty for sin, having sin put to death in his own body. And if it stopped there, we would still be without hope, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus is raised on the third day, and because he's raised on the third day, it, it proves his righteousness, it proves who he is, his righteousness, and we now have the hope That the end of this deal isn't the end of this deal. And that you and I, that if we are in Christ, we have eternal security that one day that he will rescue us from death and he will carry us into eternal life. That is why Jesus came into the world. That is why God entered into time, space, and history. Okay? So when it comes to prophecies about Jesus' birth, We aren't going to really focus on it, but I want to let you know that there are conservatively about 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfills about his birth. Old Testament prophecies that were foreseeing this Messiah who would come. Now, this happens really immediately and really quickly. Chapter 3 of Genesis, which is thousands of years old. Keep in mind, we're talking about a very ancient text but a very historical text as well. Chapter three of Genesis deals with the fall of humanity, the place where we chose rebellion over God, and all of humanity fell into a place of sin and was in need of a savior. Genesis 3:15 says this. it says, "And I will put enmity between you and the woman, that's Satan and the woman, and between your offspring." and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now again, this is speaking to the serpent in the garden. In the book of Revelation, we're told that the serpent in the garden is Satan. And it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So that there's, there's, there's a there's this struggle there. And between your offspring and hers. Now, now, this is significant. Some translations say between your seed and her seed. And this is the only place in the Bible where a woman is credited with the seed. It's the only place where the offspring is hers. If you look in the Bible, you'll see that it's this man that begat and begat and begat and all of this. See, the, it is always only associated with the men. The seed is always associated with the men and never the woman. This is indicative that this birth ultimately would be of a virgin. This would be a virgin birth. And, and, and that, uh, that he would crush, that he would strike his heel. So in other words, Satan would strike the heel, of, of this one that was to come. It would appear to be, you know, uh, something that was kind of bad, but ultimately that this one, the Messiah, would crush the head of the serpent. And we we'll see when, the, when a serpent's head is crushed, that means it can't bite anymore. It's done. It's over. It means that this one who would come would take away the toxicity and the poison of sin in the world for us. And so Genesis 3 is a prophetic... Um, it's a prophecy of, of the Savior of the Messiah who would come. It's indicative, again, of that virgin birth. Isaiah 7:14, which keep in mind, is written 700 years before Jesus' birth, says this. It says, "Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign: Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel." The word, the name Emmanuel means God with us. It wasn't a literal name he was meant to have. It meant it was a characteristic of God and what he was going to be. It was God who would come to be with us, to, to join us, to, to come here. His name is Emmanuel, and it says that he should conce- would be conceived by a virgin. Now, now, if you're a naturalist, right, you're like, no way, that can't happen, Right? That can happen. But if you're a supernaturalist or you understand that, that God is at work within the systems of this world, and that because He's the one who wrote all of the rules for physics and the universe and all of that kind of stuff, you see, he, 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 He's not bound by those rules. He can transcend those rules. And when we see those rules transcended, what we see then is the miraculous. And, and this is a God who is capable, by all means, if He's God and He's all powerful. Then anything like this, some of these supernatural things are, are no problem for a God who uh, exists outside of his creation. Matthew one twenty one and 22 says that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So sometimes we're like, well, why do we even call him Jesus? Well, we call him Jesus. This is this. His name wasn't Jesus. His name was probably Yeshua. Joshua means uh, that the Lord saves. Uh, That was his name. Uh, We get Jesus from the Greek rendering of Joshua. And so we have adopted that Greek translation into English. And we say Jesus. All the same guy. Jesus had a virgin birth. There are some prophecies in Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 61, verse 1, says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. In Luke chapter 4, New Testament, we see that Jesus stands up in the synagogue, opens the scroll of Isaiah, and reads this very thing. He reads this very thing, Isaiah 61. He reads more of it. And then it says, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what Jesus is telling them is, I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the one that all of this prophetic stuff has been talking about. In Micah 5.2, we see... uh, that uh, Jesus would be born in in Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Again, a a prophecy that is again recognizing too that Jesus is the ancient of days, that he is the God of the Old Testament uh, come uh, as the son of God. Matthew 2, 2 through 5, saying, Where is he? These are the magi who have shown up. Where is he who has been born king of the Jew? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is going to say 13 times, this was done to fulfill the prophecy, to fulfill the, the, the Word of God, kind of a thing. Hosea 1 uh, or 11, verse 1 When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. In Matthew chapter 2, we see that Matthew uh, just gives us this. Uh, this historical thing that now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Herod is is the, the, the ruler over Judea at the time that Jesus is born. And no scholarship that I know of argues with that. And we know that here that Herod, because he was threatened by this idea of a king that had now been born, he takes this edict out to Bethlehem and he says, basically, any any children that are around there, two and under, I'm going to kill them. Because he, this is how threatened that Herod is. You have to understand that Herod is, is and Roman rulers, it was regular for them to kill anybody who, who, who might threaten them in any way. And so sometimes we're like, whoa, no way would he do that. Yeah, he would. And, and honestly, in Bethlehem, the population and what that would have looked like, somewhere I've read that that probably looked like around 30 to 40 children or something like that that, that were killed in that, in that time. Just an awful thing. But Jesus and his family were warned about that and they escaped out of, into Egypt and then they came back later after Herod had died. So uh, he's born in, in Bethlehem, he's escaped to Egypt. We also see, too, that the Magi are talking about a star that they saw something. Now, the Magi, again, are something that, you know, we we tend to think about the Magi, and we always have them uh, in our nativity scenes and things like that. Like I said last week, um, I hate to blow this for you about Christmas, but they weren't there. The Magi, the wise men, were not at Jesus' birth. They were there much later, nine months to Potentially a year and a half later, did they show up on the scene? Most likely the Magi were this. They were probably Jews that were still exiled in Babylon. And and so as Jews living in Babylon exiled, they still were seeking for and searching for and understanding out of Scripture what it was going to look like for the time when the Messiah would come. And and they did some interesting things because it says here that they saw a star, that they could see a star. In other words, there were celestial things that were going on in the sky at that time that gave them this understanding that, okay, he's been born. It's time to travel a thousand miles and go meet him. Now, we always see them in our nativity scenes that they're, they have kings, they have crowns on, and that's from another thing that where people uh, take a, uh, some of Isaiah and say that the Gentile kings would come to see him. We don't know that they were all kings by any means, and, and there weren't just three of them either, because we only say there were three because of the gifts that they brought, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. But most likely, if they were traveling through the desert with those very valuable gifts that they were coming to bring to Jesus, there was probably a good number of them. And so they crossed the desert from Babylon, and they're going to, uh, towards, uh, back to Judea and back to Bethlehem to meet this king. So December 25th, is that Jesus's birthday? Most likely not, Right. There there are some people and there are some scholars that still would hold to kind of this date. And there are some stuff maybe from, you know, that that would say that some of the earlier church and stuff did still celebrate this at uh, December 25th. What happened, one thing that happened was that in 336 uh, AD or BCE now, I guess, 336, the Catholic Church adopted December the 25th as Christ, Christ Mass. And it became Christmas. Okay, now now some people would say, and you'll hear some things. Well, it was a pagan holiday, right? That that the that the Christians just wanted to kind of like, well, we're not going to participate in the in the pagan holiday, and so we'll make Christmas at that time of year. And I don't know, honestly. Uh, there, there were there uh, were there was a a thing called Saturnalia that the Romans practiced and it was about, it was a, it was a, uh, a, a practice of, of the harvest kind of a thing and the God of the harvest. Uh, there was uh, Sol Invictus, which was uh, this, uh, this worship of the sun god that the Romans had. There was Mithras, who was an Iranian sun god that, that people had adopted. Uh, Mithras and it had become kind of a mystery religion. Within the Roman Empire, there was winter solstice, and so there's, there's pagan uh, celebrations going on. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. One other interesting thought was this. There was a belief that holy men died on the day of their conception. And so there was a guy that believed, or, or some people believed in early on, that Jesus died on March the 25th. So if you take March the 25th and you add nine months to it, you end up at December 25th. And so some people say that that's why December 25th was taken on as a time when we remember or think about or attribute the birth of Jesus to himself. It's possible that this practice was going on as early as the second century, Um, but we're not really sure. Now, we're given some interesting clues, though, through the Bible. And again, these are things that I want you to start. I hope you're intrigued by some of these things because there's so many clues in the Bible. And see, the Bible isn't just meant to be read over. The Bible is meant to be mined. Uh, it, it says that, that there's, there's treasure in here. And that as we dig as for treasure, that, that there are things in here that we'll find. I've told you many times before. I was a Christian. I used to try to read this book, and I was like, "Just thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not." What shall you do? I don't know. All I can see is all this "thou shall not" stuff, you know. But I've come to understand that this is the most profound book. That you could ever read. A book that, that, that extends over thousands and thousands of years with multiple authors through this thing, but yet there's this thread of continuity that's there, and it's only there, the only way it could even be there is because God has preserved it and God put this thing together. And this becomes an instruction for our lives. And it teaches us about life. It's, it's a place of grounding. It's a place where, where we as, as society, as people um, individually and as cultures and all of that stuff and communities, we, we learn how to live and how to do this thing. So uh, one thing that, that we can look at if we were trying to say, well, if Jesus wasn't born December 25th, well, when was he born? And, and I'm, uh, let me just start by saying, I don't really know, okay? So I'm going to get you some stuff here, and and this, when I'm done, this and $4.50 will get you a cup of coffee or whatever it costs these days to get coffee. I don't know. I think they should change the name Starbucks to four bucks because it doesn't seem like you can get nothing under there under four bucks. Anyway, um, so here we are. Uh, So one thing that we've got that when we look at the Bible is that we see the conception or the birth of John the Baptist. We actually can get some concrete kind of understanding through some of the clues that are given in that, okay? So Luke 1, 8 through 10 says this. It says that while he was serving as priest before God, this is Zechariah. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are the the, the mother and father of John the Baptist, okay? Now this is about Zechariah. And it says while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by a lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So to carry the story on, Zechariah goes in there. He's met by an angel, um, it, it, and, and the angel Gabriel tells him, like, you know what? Uh, you're going to have a, a son. Uh, you and Elizabeth are going to have a son, and, you, you know, he's going to be great. He's going he's to prepare all these different things, and, and Zechariah is old, too, and, it, and so he's like, okay, okay. And, and remember, he, he was kind of struggled with that a little bit, and so he comes out and he can't speak. He can't speak until after the birth of this child, but here's the interesting thing. We understand that Zechariah was serving right there when his division was on duty. Okay, so the, the priesthood was, was, was the Levite, the Levitical priesthood was divided into 24 different divisions, okay? Zechariah was, his father was Abijah and that put him into uh, the division of, of the course, I would say, of Aviah. And Aviah, the course or the priest that, that fit within that, uh, served the 10th week or Savan was the month in, on the Jewish calendar, and then they also served the 35th week, which was Kislev. Okay, so, so what happened with the priesthood is that for, from Sabbath to Sabbath, when it was your week and his week was the 10th week and the 35th week, they served solid in the temple uh, for that time frame. Okay? there are 24 different divisions that are doing this. So that's 48 weeks. But then they all served during the, uh, the three major holidays or the, the, the festivals that the Jewish people had. So, uh, so, so they had to go to those three. All of the priests served at that time. And so basically what we can get out of that is that if we went on in the story, we would see that Elizabeth conceives right after this time that he serves in the temple. Now, then the question is, was it the 10th week or was it the 35th week? 10th week, 35th week. And that, that is something that we don't really know for sure. You can't really seem to pin that down for sure. But it was either the 10th week or the 35th week after that, that um, Elizabeth conceives after the temple service. Gabriel visits Mary, it says in the text, when Elizabeth is six months pregnant with John. So now we've got this thing where we could say, okay, well if it was if, if it was the 10th okay, the month of Sivan, which would kind of run a May to June kind of a thing in our calendar, then John was probably born on around Nisan 15th or the or Passover, which would be really interesting in and of itself because if we do a, if you do a Seder meal sometime and we're actually planning to do a Seder meal this year um you leave, a, there's a cup for Elijah that is left. And we know that the spirit of Elijah was on John. So if he were to come at the Passover, the Jewish people are, are awaiting even that that kind of a visitation from the spirit of Elijah. So anyway, he would have been born roughly then at the Passover. And Jesus, six months later, which would put that basically in about September. So Jesus then would have been born in September. If it was in Kislev, or December and January, roughly, when, when John is born. Well, no, I'm sorry. Kislev itself is December or January. And John was born then. If you conceive there, then he's going to be born in June or July. And to add six months to that, we're going to put Jesus being born in December or early January. So there we go. So, we've, so really, we can kind of narrow it down to this thing that Jesus was most likely born either in September or late December, early January, okay? And, and I know that there's, there's room. There, there's all kinds of thought about this, okay? There's all kinds of thought about this. So, so trust me, if you start to look this up, uh, you're just going to get run over by all kinds of information, okay? But that's okay. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's fun. It's, it's really interesting stuff. So we've got this idea of this star, and we've got to remember that the Magi are looking to the sky. I believe all of the Jewish people are looking to the sky. Now, here's the difference it's not astrology, okay? Astrology is very different from this. This is more astronomy, and it's looking at the, the sky, and they're understanding that there is something that is coming that is going to show them that the Messiah has been born. And so they, they live, they don't, they don't have light pollution and stuff. And they don't have cell phones. And they don't have TVs. They don't have the other distractions. And when it's really hot outside, they slept up on the roofs of their homes. The stars were very well known by them. All of the constellations. Everybody in this culture would have understood the constellations. And they were also a people who were keeping track of what was going on in the sky. Okay? So, Numbers 24 Verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Matthew 2, 2, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So it's interesting that the Magi, they don't know where he is but they're in the general vicinity. it's also very interesting that Herod doesn't know when he was born. In other words, what has happened in the sky wasn't so obvious that Herod was understanding it exactly. Um, It probably wasn't something that was just so major and so just magnificent that it just set everybody back. But it was something that was understood by people who had understanding. If you get interested in this, a great thing to watch is called the Star of Bethlehem. Okay, As star of Bethlehem. A lot of this stuff that we're talking about is, is kind of on that. But anyway, so they've come, and they've come because there's a star. There's been a sign in the celestial bodies that have caused the wise men to make a thousand-mile journey to come and meet this child king. So they're looking at the sky. Psalm 19 says this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day, it pours out speech, and night to night, it reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And so now, some of you might be going, wait a minute, Try, you're getting a little freaky, you're starting to kind of you know, jump into astrology or something like that. Again, the difference between this and astrology is astrology is the belief that the stars control your life and that something about how the stars are going or what's going on with the stars somehow has a control over your life. You see, these guys, the early Jews, nor do we, we don't believe that. We don't believe that. But, but there's some interesting things here Genesis 1:14 God said let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons for days and years. So what is all of this thing? I mean it's really a crazy thing if you think about the stars and the sky. What it is ultimately is it's like it's 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 a, it's a really big clock. It's a really big clock and it's accurate, and it's predictable, and it's so much so, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. I think that this should humble us right now, because uh, we think we're so smart, right? But back not so long ago, a guy named Johann Kepler figured out the laws of planetary motion, and, and he configured out the math that basically runs how the sky goes and how the planets move throughout the the fixed stars and things like that. And he did it very accurately, so much so that we, they still use the math that, that Kepler came up with way back when. Now, Kepler did that with a, with a telescope worse than what you could buy at Walmart right now. And he did it without any, info, like a lot of information being shared with him. He didn't go online and figure, this guy, that guy's smart. That's really smart, right? So anyway, he figures this out, and so we have, now we have astronomy software. We have things where we can actually dial the clock back, and you can actually look at different things, and you can see some of the things that maybe were going on way back when. Now, we're not going to get into all of that, but there's a lot of things that were going on in the sky, in that area, particularly... In the, uh, in the constellation of Leo. Now, Leo is what? A lion. The symbol for Judah is a lion, right? So they're waiting for this king this, that out of the tribe, and Jesus is of the tribe of Judah, of this lion. And, and, and so, like, what, what's been going on is that, is that roughly uh, there's Jupiter and Venus are in conjunction in Leo in June June 17th of 2 B.C., Jupiter and Regulus. Now, remember, too, Jupiter is the king planet, and Regulus is the king star. And they're in conjunction in Leo, May 8th, 2 B.C. Jupiter and Regulus are in conjunction in Leo, February the 17th of 2 B.C. Jupiter and Regulus are in conjunction in Leo of September 14th of 3 B.C. Jupiter and Venus are in conjunction in Leo, August 12th of of 2 B.C., Uh, There's a mass of planets, Jupiter, Mars, Mercury, and Venus in Leo, uh, with Mars and Jupiter in conjunction August 27th of 3 BC. So what's happening is there are conjunctions of these different stars that are creating for what in the visible eye is probably the brightest star that anybody has ever seen at this point in time. And there 's all of these conjunctions, and if you really look at if you watch like this star of Bethlehem thing you 'll see that because Jupiter goes and right above theres there's a time period there where Jupiter is going above Leo right above its head and and it goes into what 's called retrograde motion or it goes it seems to go backwards in other words it's going forward and it's like it crowns leo and and so these guys are understanding they 're like, look at all of this stuff that 's going on in Leo and they 're waiting for this uh, king who is coming out of Judah, who's of the tribe of Judah, and, and all of this stuff is going on in Leo. And, and there's probably more stuff that's going on for them that, that we don't even know. But again, remember, these guys, these guys have dedicated their lives to this kind of stuff. And if God wound this clock up, why wouldn't God maybe put in the sky some of the things that would foreshadow or foretell his coming? It's his clock, right? And, and, and how amazing would it be? You see, because this is things that they could observe and we could discover, because that's where we're at now. We actually can kind of discover some of these things. And there's a lot of really interesting things that, that kind of go on with this kind of stuff. So, um, Revelation 12, okay? So, when we get to Revelation, understand this. Revelation is the revealing. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ, The whole book is meant to to reveal who Jesus is. Revelation 12, 1 through 5, deals with the birth of Jesus. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. I don't know what that is, okay? I don't. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So, Here's the thing, it's a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. So this, this right here is, is uh, just from a modern astronomy, uh, you can download this for free, it's called Stellarium right on your computer. It's, it's a modern uh, just software thing. You can see, see Virgo was always known as the Virgin in the constellations. And you can see that in Virgo right there, you see that she is clothed with the sun. In other words, the sun is illuminating everything about Virgo. And if you look down there at the bottom, right to the right of Libra, there's a little bitty moon right there. And that moon is small because this is a new moon representing kind of like a new beginning, a new life. Remember that the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. So everything about the moon is significant. So this moon is a new moon. This would be September the 11th of 3 BC. That's when this is going on right here. September 11th of 3 BC, which is very significant because this is Tishri. It is Rosh Hashanah. It's the new year. It's the beginning of a new thing. There's a new moon there. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, which might also give kind of some interest to why John, in John 1, says that he came and he tabernacled among us because this happens right at the Feast of Tabernacles. And at this time, it's the time where where the Jewish people believed that it was the birthday of all creation, that all creation was made new. It was kind of a second birth or a renewal of all of creation at this point. Okay, so, okay, that's fine. And what's that? Well, I don't know whether that's worth, but it's interesting, okay? So, so anyway, it's interesting because John, I believe, is giving us a description of what's happening. There was a sign that appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, okay? So, so bear with me here, okay? We're still going. After Jesus' crucifixion, Peter stands up, and he makes, he, he has a big sermon that he preaches, okay? And, and he, out of that sermon, he quotes out of the book of Joel, okay? And he says this, it says, "'In the last days it shall be,' God declares, "'that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, "'and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, "'and your young men shall see visions, "'and your old men shall dream dreams, "'even on my male servants and female servants. "'In those days I will pour out my Spirit,' And they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter then says this, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God. With mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. Now, now Peter is saying this. He's saying, "Look, you guys know this because you saw it. You know that these things, these signs, really happened. And the signs, in particular, that he is pointing to, is that it went dark, that the sun was turned to darkness, and that the moon was turned to blood." Okay. So, and Peter's just saying, look, you you know this. I mean, mean, he's challenging him on this. You you were here. You saw it. You know this. You know that that really happened, that those wonders, those signs really happened. Okay. Okay, bear with me. So, Daniel's prophecy. So, Daniel, prophetic word. He he gives a prophecy in in chapter 9 of Daniel about the coming messiah and he gives a timeline he gives us some hints about a timeline as to when the messiah would be here daniel 9:25 know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one or the messiah a prince there shall be 7 weeks and then 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat but in a troubled time and after 62 weeks the anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, okay? So, so this is a messianic pro- prophecy. When it talks about the weeks, we take those, those messianic, those prophetic weeks, and they represent years, okay? So those prophetic weeks, and, and it tells us that, that this is going to start, that this clock begins at the point in time that there is an edict that goes out to restore and build Jerusalem so we just got done with Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter two, Artaxerxes gives an edict to Nehemiah to go and to rebuild Jerusalem, okay? Artaxerxes, uh, he, his reign was from 465 to 424, okay? Uh, it says in Nehemiah that it was the 20th year of his reign. So that puts us at 444 B.C., that this edict went out, okay? So now we've got these weeks. We've got seven sets of seven, which are kind of the initial time in which Jerusalem would be completely rebuilt. And then we had a time of 62 seven. So at the end of the day, we have these 69 seven-year periods, okay? So 69 seven-year periods comes up to 483 years, okay? So, 483 years from the time to restore and rebuild, that's when Messiah is going to show up, okay? Remember now, they're on a lunar calendar, we're on a solar calendar. So, we've got to switch that. We've got to take 483 years, and we multiply that by 360 days so that we can work this down to days, okay? I had to really think about this, you guys, too, because <laughs> I'm not good at math, okay? So, then, so then we have the, the, the days... And, and, and that gives us a whole lot of days, okay? And you divide that number by 365.24 because that is the amount of days on our, that it takes for, the, for one full year in our calendar. You're gonna get from that 476 years, okay? So if you start from 444 and you take away this 476 years, and now remember we're going from AD or yeah, uh, from, from B.C. to A.D., and there is no zero, okay? So you go from, from 1 B.C. to 1 A.D., that's going to put you in the year 33 A.D., okay? 33 A.D. Okay, so they're ready, they know, and they understand that the Messiah is coming in this point, okay? Okay? Now, another clue that we get that's kind of an interesting clue is that we also understand that the day that Jesus was crucified was also preparation day, or it was the day in which they were getting ready for the Sabbath day. So they were preparing their homes so that they didn't have to work on the Sabbath day. Jesus died on preparation day, which was on a Friday. And just like on our calendar, our holidays can move throughout the week, so could Passover. And so what we need is a, is a time when Passover fell on Preparation Day. There are two days in that area, in that time frame. That happened April 7th of 30 A.D., and it also happened on April the 3rd of 33 A.D., okay? So we've got this 33 thing going, okay? And, and uh, it's we also have this idea... That the, that the sun went dark, and that there was a blood moon. Trilanus Olympiads, also known as Phlegian who was a Roman historian, wrote this in the, uh, Olympia, in the 202nd Olympiad, which is going to be a, an AD 32 to 33 document, okay? He wrote this, "'A failure of the sun took place greater than any previously known.'" And night came on at the sixth hour of the day, which is noon. The Bible says that Jesus was put on the cross at noon. So that the stars actually appeared in the sky, and a great earthquake took place in Bithynia and overthrew the greater part of Nicaea. So then we also know that there's this earthquake that's recorded, right, in the Gospels uh, when Jesus dies. this is kind of an interesting thing here, too. So this is the sky on April the 3rd of 33 AD. And, and, and so now you've got the virgin with the moon at her feet, and there's, there's no prophetic thing about this. I just find this interesting. But it's a full moon now because it's Passover. It represents like a life fully lived, finished kind of a thing. And here's the thing about this. That moon, it would have rose that day in eclipse. There was a lunar eclipse that was going on that began below the horizon. Guess what time? This lunar eclipse began at 3 o'clock, which is the time that it says that Jesus expired on the cross. And this moon would have risen, a blood moon, a red moon, just like Joel said, that the sun was darkened on that day. And that the moon was turned to blood. And Peter said before all those people, you guys saw it. You were there. You saw it. You know know that it happened. So that's all I'm going to throw at you for now. (laughs) It's interesting stuff though, huh? It's just crazy. See, I believe that God wrote in the sky the coming of his son. Not just recorded the coming of his son, but his son's death on the cross as well, because it's his clock, right? If it's his clock, he can set it and run it however he wants. It's kind of interesting stuff. Again, nothing that I'm dogmatic on, nothing that that changes anything about our faith or anything like that, but we do live in an interesting time where we can look into these things right now, and I want to encourage you to go and test your faith, go and look at. Do some research, look at it, because I'm convinced that the more that you do that, the more convinced you'll become of your faith, the more that God will show and and reveal to us all of the amazing things that he's done. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you came. We thank you, Father, that you sent your son into the world, that you might settle the the issue of sin in our lives, That, that you came as a human being to deal with our human problem, but it was only your divinity that could deal with, with the scope of humanity that could deal with all of it at once. And so we thank you that you put to death sin and you made possible a relationship with you at the cross, that place where justice and love uh, just hit head on. And, and, and because of that, now we can have a relationship with you and we're really grateful. We're thankful Jesus, that you would be willing to put down your high place of heaven, the place where you were enthroned and and the highest above all creation, and yet you humbled yourself. And you came down, and you took on the form of of a bond servant, and you put your divinity aside, and you served and loved us. And you taught us how to serve and love others as well. And so, Lord, we just pray that this day That anybody here who, who hasn't made that profession of faith, who hasn't said yes to you, who hasn't believed on you and all that you, of who you are, who hasn't said yes to that relationship, we pray that today might be the day of salvation. We give you praise. We give you all glory because you're worthy of all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.